You are listening to Rank and Vile, a proud member of the Greenlit Podcast Network. Guys, welcome to Rank and Vile, the podcast where we are ranking every single horror movie ever made in the history of horror movies and also movies and also making things. This is Ryan. And this is Quincy. How's it going, Quincy? How's your week going? Um, fall is ha, fall has fell. Yes. And um, I've entered a new phase of my life. It is dad in gray wash denim jacket and black dad hat season. Oh wow. Um. I just walk around town looking very grim with my <laughs> Listen, black hat and my black jacket with a with black pins on it. Because... You, can't, you can't let your dad energy become tainted by sunlight. You need to look like a mean piece of concrete who is also your dad. And I've also gotten into beatdown hardcore, so oh, that's just really kind of gelling the whole vibe together. It, it's, it's really sort of, it's 1992, and I'm mean. And I'm your dad now. <laughs> so wait, so you were showing, you showed me a couple of bands right before we started recording and I can't stop thinking about them. Please, uh, what what is Beat Down Hardcore? So Beat Down Hardcore, uh, for our generation, is best described by like Throwdown and um, Hatebreed. Oh yeah, Hate, Hatebreed was like my first exposure. Yeah, like that really tough guy, we're not going to talk about emotions, we're just going to be really angry <laughs> And we're not metalcore, because metal is for long hairs, but we're not punk, because punk is for is like pop punk. Yeah, it's dead So now. it's very much that mid-2000s <laughs> hardcore vibe. And Beatdown is more of the same, like, I'm so angry, I'm just gonna beat people up. I'm just gonna just do a push-up every time I'm mad at my dad, and then I'm gonna kick ass. <laughs> Oh fuck! This is—is is this not Henry Rollins? I mean, well, although the thing is, um, the the videos that you've shown me, um, there was a, a band Twenty Five to Life, T A Life, um, which is first of all a fucking outstanding name for a band. Second of all, this looks like very athletic metal to me. Like these guys are all wearing like athletic clothes on stage, and they're very sweaty, and they're like getting their cardio in while they're mad at their dads. Yeah, yeah, it's all about getting your. It's about staying clean, straight edge, vegan, but also, <laughs> um, you know, being angry. Yeah. Also, the lead singer Rick to Life is uh, <laughs> notorious for, like, fuego takes and just being awful on the internet. <laughs> oh, that's... See, this is good for him because, like, this... I mean, not good for him because it's awful, but I feel like he's at least ahead of the curve because so many aging punk dudes online... This is how they sort of maintain their punk cred is like, all right, so I can't run in these circles anymore because I'm too old to be like truly like radical in my politics or anything, but yeah. I can still upset people, which was the thing about punk rock that appealed to me in the first place. Yeah. But I'll tell you, um, if you, if you're into true crime, the 25 to life, uh, band history is is just as good as any true crime you've ever followed. Oh shit, tell me like what give me the give me the highlight reel. What happened? It it's not really I mean, it's stuff like uh distracts. Oh, um, okay. Which if you think about it, the band Mayhem, that was just an extended diss track when Count Krishnak <laughs> murdered Euronymous. <laughs> the tr- yeah, you know. The you truest know. black metal diss track. I this is honestly I love hardcore music so much because like it, it's Looking back on it, I and, and not to, you know, sort of get too navel-gazy about it, but I feel like when I was a, a young person, um, Henry Rollins really appealed to me because I was like, oh, I also really want my dad's approval and I'm mad all the time. And I feel like it hasn't aged super well with Henry Rollins because, like, so much of it was like, oh, no, you were still just a fucking meathead cruel guy on a lot of levels that, like... 
I get that you're trying to subvert, you know, all these things, but at the end of the day, your thing is about, like, working out and being mean and standoffish to people. Like, so much of it is just shitty masculinity in a cool, like, punk t-shirt. And yet, there are some gems in the Black Flag discography Mm -hmm. that uh, I still think of to this day. Especially, I've gone back and listened to the song Police Story a lot recently. Oh, yeah. And it really really hits different in 2020. Uh, We're fighting a war that we can't win. (laughs) They hate us, we hate them. You know, honestly, I, and this is my thing is like, I obviously I, I love Black Flag because I'm not, I, you know, I'm, I'm a reasonable human being. Uh, but all I can, I, my, the problem is that the internet, this is the intersection of the internet and being an aging punk is that when I think of Black Flag now, all I can think of is this um, t-shirt with the comic Kathy on it that says Ack Flag. And it's yes. just four, <laughs> four Kathys in the Black Flag logo. <laughs> This is this is what I think of. So Quincy, um, is this the? Uh, has there been other ghoul shit this week for you, or is are you mostly just it's beat just, down hardcore? So my favorite is like non ironically this promo tape by Snuffed on Sight called No Clown Shit came out, <laughs> and it is legitimately very good because the cover is the lead singer standing on a annoying scene kid's neck. And he's wearing a Prince t-shirt and checking his Twitter. <laughs> it's me. I'm the kid in the Prince t-shirt checking his Twitter. I, this is, I, I, it makes me want to see like an indie band who's like, I could deal with some clown shit. I don't know. Like if, if, if the rest of the no table. No clown shit. <laughs> I don't know. Like I, if the rest of the table wants some clown shit, I guess I could be down for some clown shit. I don't know. But yeah, so Snuffed on Sight is very fucking good. Mm-hmm. Um, they also, uh, not only do they have uh, Prince making a cameo on the cover of their album, they also, on Bandcamp, their um, their bio mm-hmm. is death metal for crowd killers and cross-armed dickheads. <laughs> we have, who, who, whomst among us has not been a cross-armed dickhead at a metal show before? Indeed. Like, also, it's bedroom death metal. So it's really just a guy <laughs> recording everything himself and then going and standing on train tracks and getting some pictures taken. See, as, as someone who makes electronic music in my own, like, death hole in quarantine, this really speaks to me. Is like, I'm just going to do all of these instruments in my weird little shed. And this is this is music now because live, live music isn't really an option right now. Um, Listen, I would pay to watch if Scotty Network did a live stream for a live stream for money mm-hmm. i would pay for it well there we go this is see i honestly i death i remember the last death metal show i went to um it was there was a christian metal band there named zao zao but the thing was the band was just emerging from being a christian band and into being like well the guys who did all the christian stuff in the band kind of got shuffled out now we're all in the band now and none of us are really feeling particularly churchy maybe we could do a song about how our girlfriend was mean to us i don't know and like you could sort of visibly see the chip on their shoulder from the back row (laughs) like zao was sort of like i don't want to talk about jesus um, so that was that was pretty great. Um, the 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 ghoul the 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 ghoul hole, which is the worst way I could put that that I've disappeared down this week. Um, I've been doing a deep dive on uh, Dennis Nilsson, who is uh, one of the most prolific um, serial killers in the UK. They're actually um, I had found out about him because like uh, so I'm doing my annual reread of Exquisite Corpse by Poppy Z. Bright. Um, who hurt you? I yeah, I'm a, I'm broken. I guess I it's my I love, problem with Exquisite Corpse is I just think of shrimp deveiners oh. and I'm done. I can't pick the book up again. It's it's rough. It's rough. I just I love so much that Poppy Z Bright has the brass ones to be like. You know what? I'm going to get Harper fucking Collins to distribute and print copies of my Jeffrey Dahmer Dennis Nelson fanfic, and people are going to pay money for that. Um, Have you read Bright's um, Beatles slash fic? No. What is this? There is a very early Poppy Z. Bright novella named Plastic Jesus, which is about, uh, instead of the Beatles breaking up, um, that John and... 
Paul get hooked on heroin together and just kind of quit recording music but focus on their relationship. And it, I assume, turns into dead ringers and they just like gnarl in on each other and shut the world Pretty up. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, like, oh, that's, it's, I, I always think of that thing with the Beatles about how uh, apparently uh, Paul and John were rubbing one out together in a group setting when they were young dudes. That there was just like a big circle of dudes and they just all like started beating off together and they Was they... it a twenty five to life show? <laughs> <laughs> this is beat down hardcore. Um the not, <laughs> honestly listen, if if you cross your arms you can still reach down and grab your dick. So you just have to you just have to angle for it, you have to want it enough. Um, the honestly, like Dennis Nilsson, uh, I got like I, I was listening to Case File, which is a uh, it's an Australian guy doing true crime. Well, it's not it's not just him, obviously. Like it's sort of lots of people researching it and doing all that stuff. And the the speaker is Australian. He's this anonymous guy, and they did uh, a big episode about Dennis Nilsson, who is a uh, serial killer that like when I googled him, I immediately looked at his picture and thought, oh shit, he kind of looks like David Tennant. You will never guess who is playing Dennis Nilsson in an upcoming. Uh, crime drama about Dennis Nelson. Oh shit! Um, it's great. Now, honestly, like I, my my favorite thing about this, I will get into the movie. Or, so we'll get into the movie, uh, the movies very very quickly here. But my favorite thing is true crime guys being really really bad at crime. Where when serial killers, you know, when they talk about themselves, they've got this very sort of self-aggrandizing version of like. Yes, I'm a genius and a poet and a scholar, and I speak to the human experience, and I'm fastidious and leave nothing to chance. Dennis Nilsson got caught because he was just flushing body parts down the fucking toilet in his apartment building. And it's it's that, insane. Yeah, and the plumbing got stopped up, and the cops came, and they were like, oh shit, that's a human knuckle. I wonder who in this building is doing some murders. And Dennis Nilsson is like, yeah, it was me. Like, immediately he cops to it. Um, that's so wild it, it reminds me a lot of Dahmer was just like too tired to cut up bodies so he just like left them in the shower and showered around them and like <laughs> that's an entire mood yeah I too have been too <laughs> tired to give a fuck not to the extent of not moving dead bodies but like <laughs> I get it Jeffrey I get it I just I love I love watching serial killers becoming scrubs and I kind of want to do a, a a thing about like a side podcast about like scrubs of true crime history but I think it's also like if I had lost somebody to like a Jeffrey Dahmer or a Dennis Nelson and some fucking joker was doing a podcast about how lame their serial killer was maybe it would rub me the wrong way I don't know yeah it's... This is so funny because the only other ghoul shit I was going to bring up is I bought limited edition Halloween soft soap for my new apartment. <laughs> yes! Because it's called Costume Kitty and has a cat dresses Dracula on it. Oh, shit. This, I want to, oh, that's, I, so speaking of Halloween smell goods, I want to bring this up real quick. Um, there is a, a candle company that makes a, uh, uh, an, uh, an essential oil that you can put into your diffuser called Horror Nights, and <laughs> it smells like haunted house, like ozone and a gentle kiss of mildew. Um, a little bit of of uh, fog juice. Yeah, yeah, just a light soup song of, of of fog juice, and I've been huffing it for the last day. It is truly that time of year. So let's get into God Have Mercy, the first movie we're doing on this episode. Um, we are doing. Uh, the House on Haunted Hill remake from the great year in movies of 1999. This movie got me thinking. You know how, like, in the 90s and 2000s, these were awful movies. We were like, oh my god, that's so terrible. It looks so fucking stupid. Oh, sure. But when we look back on them, we're very nostalgic. Yeah. Are we, or future ghouls going to watch Ouija Shark and Velocipaster <laughs> with the same level of nostalgia as you and I watch House on Haunted Hill and the remake of Black Christmas. So you're saying like Sharktopus versus Werewolf is going to end up on somebody's rotation at some point in the future as like a, a, a forgotten gem. Defo. I mean, yeah. I mean, like, honestly, upon rewatching House on Haunted Hill, because I've seen this movie and embarrassingly, like, uh, probably about six times I've seen this movie. And on this most recent rewatch, 
I had that same thing where I was like, this movie is actually not as dog shit as I recall it being. Yeah, it's... It's now let's not get it twisted. Uh, we're getting ahead of ourselves. This movie sucks. Oh, it's a bad. It is. It is a bad movie. Uh, it is. Uh, well, so let's. Okay, so this movie <laughs> is uh, obviously a remake of the the Vincent Price uh, uh, classic House on Haunted Hill, which features like sca- no supernatural occurrences. It's all tricks. Like that's the point. Is mm-hmm. it's a fake haunted house. And it's a murder mystery, not a supernatural thriller. Exactly. And this movie was like, well, we've just checked our watch. It's the year fucking two thousand or nineteen ninety nine. Excuse me. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna do that one over uh, over again. And this movie looked at its watch and went, huh? It's nineteen ninety nine, and decided that like it had a CGI budget. And this is the year that um, season three of Buffy with the snake demon in the finale happened. And I think like this movie was it was feeling its fucking oats. It was 1999 and there was no earthly way they weren't going to get their shit in on a visual effects level. It's 1999. They just saved a remarkable amount of money by just shopping on the clearance rack at Gadzooks instead of <laughs> buying those Jinkos at full price. So they just poured the rest of that cash into their visual effects department. Yeah, it's 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 fucking incredible. Now, like uh, from the opening of the movie, um, the opening credits are incredible to me because it's sort of like um, there's a, a an Atari game called like Haunted House where it's just, like, there's bats and spiders and spooky ghosts, and they're all, like, harassing you. And the opening credits of this are just, like, here's a random guy screaming, here's a picture of a spider. That's pretty cool. I don't know. Like, and, 1999, Marilyn Manson singing a cover of an 80s song. Man, you know what? There are so many movies in the 90s that were lousy with that fucking Marilyn Manson cover of Sweet Dreams Are Made Of This. <laughs> what was was everybody just having like a cultural moment of like we can't deal with the excess of the 80s but ooh Marilyn Manson sounds spooky we like we got to have the song on the soundtrack like horror movies especially love that song during this period for sure now here's another thing that's wild uh this movie has special effects by Greg Nicotero and Dick Smith oh wow no shit but you couldn't tell it <laughs> Because most of the movie is CGI instead of the actual practical effects. So it's like yeah. it's like they took Greg Nicotero, who, you know, is famous for Day of the Dead and later the Walking Dead series. And Man. you're just like, you know what? Let's just cover this in a large, healthy dose of, of bullshit. Well, it makes me it makes me think of um sort of like he's hiding his light under a bushel basket the way that like on the thing prequel they made in like 2011 where it was like uh the special effects department who all probably grew up fucking idolizing uh the effects from the movie the thing and they're like oh shit you know we're doing this prequel and we get to like you know make all this really great shit and then the director of the movie going like eh what if i covered all of your work with really shitty cg all right thanks for thanks for showing up and it's just like you had so many resources at your disposal and you did this I mean, Dick Smith did the exploding head from Scanners. That, you know what? If you have that on your resume, you don't need a resume. Like, you just have that one clip. You just show up with an exploding <laughs> head, and they're like, you're high. Sold. Yeah, it's it's incredible. So we, we, we get the... I mean, Dick Smith also won an Academy Award because he did the little big man makeup. But, like, oh, yeah. let's be honest. We remember him for Scanners. I mean, listen, nobody remembers Alec Guinness's Shakespeare work. Like, he, you're fucking Obi-Wan Kenobi, and I'm very sorry, and I know you hate this, but you did something culturally significant that we all remember. Um, so before you tweet me, I know that he actually won the best makeup for Amadeus. Uh, doesn't fucking matter. Oh man! Now I thought Dick with Smith a- made the taxi did Taxi Driver, but also Scanners. And- so chill get off twitter and listen to this podcast <laughs> well don't get me wrong i fucks with amadeus and the makeup in amadeus that movie that movie's exceptional um it, now, uh, it rocked you it rocked me comma amadeus now this movie <laughs> um it opens up with this like howard cassell sports uh narration of like 
evil Edwardian surgery where there's like, man, there was a guy who was a killer and he killed people with a knife and he was supposed to be a doctor, but he lived in an asylum. And it's like, you, you get sort of... Um, it's so insane because no film serial, which this is approximating, mm-hmm. would do that and would show the footage that this... <laughs> film is showing well lots of better things would do better things than this movie does (laughs) um and it's all cast in like old time like sepia like it's a fucking daguerreotype and it's now the the there's an evil old timey doctor whose name doesn't matter um who was in uh uh, haunted the house on the the titular house on haunted hill and he's played by children um, gather around the nickelodeon and let's watch (laughs) jeffrey combs with the mustache (laughs) God bless Jeffrey Combs for rocking that mustache in this film, though. Like, he he plays this uh, evil old-timey surgeon uh, who killed a bunch of people, but then also, I think the inmates took over the asylum? The inmates are running the asylum, and they are having the wherewithal to film it. <laughs> yeah, listen, you want to, uh, in any uh, old-timey ins- insane asylum, you're going to want to have at least one director of photography um in the mix who can just pick up that camera and fucking get it on wax um he so we this movie is like four different movies kind of lashed together into like a gundam um because we start out with that bit and then we cut to uh peter graves doing like unsolved mysteries about the house on haunted hill and that also really strikes my 1999 because i too was in insomniac teenager and watch the history channel and every episode of taboo and other uh shows of that ilk so it really struck me right and also felt really historically accurate for the period (laughs) yeah yeah this is like vintage uh early morning uh cable tv um now we we cut to obviously an amusement park that is owned by um, a character named Mr. Price. Now, Mr. Price... Ah, but let's not forget, before that, his Mr. Price's wife is watching this Peter Graves TV in a television while she's in the bathtub. And she picks up a landline telephone. The height of excess in 1999 <laughs> to have both a cable connection and a phone jack in your bathroom. Oh, yeah. And this isn't even just, like, some some random cord phone. This is, like, the, the phone itself looks like a conch shell. Like, it's just this big antique fucking thing. Uh, and she is, like, you know, sort of evil. You can sort of tell immediately, but also rich. And she is, like, talking to someone. She's like, I've got a mean idea. And we, um, we cut to uh, this amusement park... That is owned, uh, I think, is the amusement park owned by Mr. Price? It is owned by Mr. Price. He is described in the uh, back copy of the VHS as amusement park mogul Mr. Price. Mm, Amusement park mogul. No, sorry. Sorry. You're not a mogul if you own, like, one amusement park. That's like... (laughs) But it's a good one. I'm not a a hamburger mogul if I own a white castle down the street from my house. Like... (laughs) I, I feel like moguldom encompasses slightly slightly more than that. But um so he is played by motherfucking Jeffrey Rush. And this is I'm gonna say Jeffrey Rush's best performance. <laughs> Not like the King's speech. This, it's career defining. Because <laughs> yeah. if you say Jeffrey Rush, I'm like, that motherfucker did the best Vincent Price <laughs> impersonation in House on Haunted Hill. I mean, and and it is a Vincent Price impersonation. He, my guy, is out here with a pencil mustache. He's got the satin smoking jackets. He's a got cravat. the Oh yeah, yeah. He is going like now. And this made me realize Vincent... high waisted trousers and suspenders. Oh man, this actually you're making me realize is Vincent Price a drag queen? <laughs> like yes. So much of this is Vincent Price giving you, like, I'm giving you evil horror host realness. And it's just him, like, sort of sashaying out of a parlor. He's always entering and leaving rooms, I feel, is Vincent Price. Like, he's always just in a constant state of either, like, flux or making a bon mot in a, in a party setting. And Jeffrey Rush is just, like, 
chewing the motherfucking scenery in this movie. <laughs> Boy, howdy. He is... Now, what's incredible is that he's doing Vincent Price, but his accent, he kind of sounds like James Woods? A little bit? Where he's just kind of like, ah, I'm gonna kill my fucking wife. And he's just, like, trying... He's, like, super, like, jazzy and, like... Uh, trying to keep it light and breezy, but he's, you could sort of tell immediately. Now, what he what he does is he takes, um, by the way, did you notice who the cameraman was in the amusement park scene? Yes, the so he is giving a news crew a tour of his latest amusement park ride. The reporter is um, alternative darling Lisa Loeb. Fuck yeah. Her cameraman is none other than James fucking Marsters, who plays Spike on Buffy. Now, this was 1999. Was this just genius marketing or just uh, crazy random happenstance that the that Marsters landed this bit role? I don't know. See, it's weird because he's not the only uh, Buffyverse alum in this movie. Um, Mr. Price, later on, he has a security guy who is played by an actor whose name I don't care about who plays a character in uh, Becoming uh, Part 1 and 2 on Buffy the Vampire Slayer named Whistler, who's basically like a mysterious kind of, you think he might be a demon character, but he's the one that sets uh, Angel um, post getting his soul re- restored. He's the one who initially, he's he looks like a ska kid who sets Angel <laughs> back on the path of righteousness. And later... So, so he's, a, he's anyone in a scene from the bronze. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, listen, you're sold. You gotta pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. And he... Um, his character would basically be replaced by a, uh, a suspiciously similar substitute on Angel the Series as Doyle, uh, the, the friendly uh, demon who's helping him be a better person. Anyway, so all this to say, it is 1999 and we are off to the races. Um, now, Jeffrey Rush does this thing where he has this roller coaster called Terror Incognita, which, by the way, why is it incognita? Is it a lady coaster? Well, see, that's weird because terror is has a masculine ending. So it's just a case of the the um, screenplay uh, the <laughs> being bad. <laughs> this no, not this one. Um, he now and he basically he pulls a Willy Wonka. He's he's like a shittier version of Willy Wonka. I feel where he like he uh, he's constantly pulling pranks on people at this amusement park where like. You've got, uh, they get onto the, uh, the elevator to get to the top of the roller coaster, where is, you know, this is where you're meant to start the roller coaster, and then, like, oh no, the elevator cable is breaking and we're falling to our deaths, and it's revealed, like, ah, this was the ride, friends. Um, and then right after that, like, oh no, there's a roller coaster with, like, cars flying off the thing and we're all gonna die, like, in a Final Destination movie, and it's revealed that, like, it's a decoy car that's meant to make you think that you're going to fall to your death. Um, so just a lot of Scooby-Doo bullshit with this guy. Yeah. You know, what's wild is I assumed that um, this was a case of, like, script doctoring the hell, that, like, um, multiple people. Mm. But it only has two writing credits, the story and the screenplay written by Dick Beebe, who wrote the Blair Witch Project sequel, Book of Shadows. <laughs> you don't say. Oh, man. That's incredible. Honestly, uh, Blair Witch uh, 2 Book of Shadows, I wanted to give it the benefit of the doubt. I, I rewatched it a couple of weeks ago. It, it is actually as bad as it gets credit for being. Um, now, he also wrote an episode of Tales from the Crypt. He wrote Only Skin Deep, which is not one that I remember. <laughs> oh, I remember Only Skin Deep. That was the one with Demi Moore. Oh, I uh, all right. Oh yeah. <laughs> all right, he's redeemed himself a little bit. I what we eventually learn is that uh, Jeffrey Rush's character, Mr. Price, is going to be running uh, a sort of contest at the titular house on Haunted Hill. Um, and he, what we find out, and this is a spoiler, um, ghosts hacked into his computer. <laughs> <laughs> ghosts changed his guest list <laughs> ghost hackers and they get on they jack into the mainframe and they invite a bunch of people uh to the my, house my headcanon is it's less ghosts and more like satan is the internet from buffy season one <laughs> yes <laughs> techno pagans are to blame <laughs> So it's just like Satan himself like sitting in the basement with a laptop going, oh, I'm going to catfish their asses so bad. They're not even going to know it hit them. 
Holy shit. So the, uh, a bunch of people show up to this thing that's basically like, if you can stay in this house all night, overnight, um, you will walk out with a cool million dollars in your pocket. Now, the um, the sort of proprietor of the house is played by somebody who I assume stopped existing after the year 2000, uh, Chris Kattan. Oh, no, uh, because he also had to be in Santa's sleigh at around this time point, too. Oh, poor Chris Kattan. He, but did Corky Romano happen and everybody just, like, consigned him to the abyss? Yeah, it, it killed his career. He was on the middle, I believe. Huh, well, that's something. Um, he, he's playing the proprietor of this house, who is a sort of twitchy guy who... Um, is he, he has history with the house, I believe? He grew up in the house. His family, um, owned it and converted it to a residence. And it's revealed that only five people who were on this, the Vanicut Psychiatric Institute staff survived. And it's revealed that every person at this party is one of these five people's ancestors including chris Catan. yeah yeah and it's now i didn't know if initially this was like meant to be tied into the original uh house on haunted hill where it's like all of you are related to people who were in the original movie um which would make this sort of house on haunted hill muppet babies i feel um but so and the idea is like this house is uh, super haunted and Chris Kattan is super twitchy about the whole thing. Now the the one of the main relationships at the heart of this movie is the relationship between uh, Jeffrey Rush's character Mr. Price and his wife Evelyn, who just fucking hate each other. The worst. They're trying to actively murder each other through the whole film. Well, and it's incredible because, like, uh, the original House on Haunted Hill, I, I think now, and the thing is, no, no, absolutely no disrespect to my president, Jeffrey Rush, right? But he's no Vincent Price in yeah. in, in, in delivery and in, in, in mannerisms. And the original House on Haunted Hill had a sort of, like, a delightfully ghoulish repartee between these two characters where it was like, ah, oh, we both want to fucking kill each other because we hate each other, but... We both have to maintain the illusion of civility. Isn't this fun? I'm Vincent Price. And this movie is just basically Jeffrey Rush and 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 this 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 lady just being like, I will kill you the moment it avails itself to me as an option. I fucking hate yes. you. To the point that <laughs> when the guns show up, it's like, excellent. We're all just going to shoot each other now. <laughs> All right, let's get this party started. Like, everybody's just sort of like, great, we got guns here. We all want each other dead. Um, and what you, you sort of find out is that, like, they, neither of them, it's almost like a Mr. and Mrs. Smith sort of a deal where neither of them quite knows what the other one is trying to make happen here. Right. They're both trying to murder each other, but they're not totally aware of it. And everything has yeah. the plausible deniability, which we later find out is actual ghosts, so that they're like, all right, well, I'll let this slide. I, I love so much that you pointed out that, like, the original Haunting of Hell House, the entire thing was like, there's actually no supernatural terror. This movie looked at that and went, well, that's some clown shit, and I've decided to bring in actual ghosts. No clown shit. <laughs> if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. So you're saying Robert oh. Zemeckis, famed Hollywood producer, is into beatdown hardcore? Oh, yeah. Robert Zemeckis is an OG beatdown hardcore stalwart. Like, he's he will meet <laughs> you in the fucking pit with a telephoto lens. He is, yeah, no, he's been down since day one. And now, there is an embarrassment of talent in this movie, one of which is um, Peter Gallagher, who some of you may remember as... Uh, uh, Sandy Cohen from The O.C., or The Worst Person Who's Ever Lived from Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Um, and he looks exactly like Smith's era Morrissey. Yeah, I see it. Like, just the, the glasses, the, the, the hairdo. Um, and he... Now, the problem is, that I, I, I had a VHS copy, or I didn't, my mom did, uh, of Sex, Lies, and Videotape when I was a kid, and I would watch it over and over again, and I, like have a visceral anger response to the face of Peter Gallagher because he's such a piece of shit in that movie. And I was not proven wrong in this motion picture. He, um, 
Now, all right, so uh, at this point, I I'm should sorry, point... Ryan. My parents also had a video copy of Sex Lies <laughs> and videotape. Why? Why did they? Is have this it? what it's like when doves cry? <laughs> <laughs> Holy fuck! The I I don't. Bonded by our parents' shared horniness. This is shared trauma, is what this is. It's like <laughs> I I have a crush on James Spader. I can't explain, but it's been there since childhood. Which um, also explains why uh, I've been doing an Office rewatch and am weirdly drawn to James Spader as Robert California. Oh, for sure. Like James Spader, um, he's 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 a he's he's a dreamboat. I am there's the, it's it's the only word I can think of to describe James Spader, but he he's listen. In this quarter on the Greenlit Podcast Network, Chris Sims and Matt Wilson, and in this quarter, VHS oddities, confusing animation, and modern not so classics. Plus snacks, movie fighters. We watch movies and beat them up. And so Peter Gallagher is in this movie, and he is one of many guests who uh, Mr. Price is like, I don't, I don't fucking know any of you, and he forswears all knowledge of these guests. And at this point, um, the door slams shut, and they are all trapped inside. Oh no! And Mr. Price is genuinely like, Wait, what the fuck? He's like trying to figure out what happened. Um, Evelyn assumes he's on the take. <laughs> and Price assumes Evelyn is the one who's doing it. It's very good. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. Um, and this is all happening in a house that, by the way, um, I found out that a bunch of the shots uh, of the exteriors of this movie was uh, around the Griffith uh, Observatory in uh, Los Angeles. The building itself looks like the fucking Power Rangers home base where Zordon lives. Yeah, it's insane. It's it's like this great uh, egg-looking edifice tucked into a cliffside and with these great towers on it. I would never live in this house because I would fall to my death. Oh, yeah. And what's wild... So, I'm getting ahead of myself, but the final punchline is two characters are sitting on the edge of this giant cliffside building and they say how do we get down and then the credits roll (laughs) which is kind of great actually like it's that that's always the the image i remember from this movie is they get chased to the top of the house they defeat the evil and then they're like a cat who has accidentally climbed up a fucking tree and now they don't know how they don't have an exit strategy here it's the equivalent of Fozzie Bear honking a horn after telling a bad joke. <laughs> yeah, waga it's a, waga, that's it. It's a it, yeah, that last line is a real like shock jock radio DJ like. It's a wet fart. <laughs> it is. It is the death of humor. Now, at this point, we we start learning more about the house and uh, about Jeffrey Combs being uh, an evil asylum guy with a cleaver who hurts people and he's got this whole like underground like art torture arcade yeah and it's got the weird uh plasticized bodies from that one art exhibit oh yeah 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 it's just like a bunch of huge weird bodies and he it's it's sort of revealed that he was um now i think what we what we come to understand is not so now he was a bit of a stinker you know as a person but what you find out is that uh, the house itself, there's a thing called the darkness, okay, that lives in the house, and it uh, what takes advantage of the darkness in men's souls, or it's and it believes in a thing called love, and if you listen <laughs> closely, you hear the rhythm of its beating heart. At the very end of the movie, when they're on the ledge, and the house is just like, "Get your hands off my mom and mom," <laughs> and it's. Yeah, the house itself is 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 bad, and Jeffrey Combs is there. And um, now, now that the doors are locked, they're all kind of turning on each other a little bit. They all are presented with very, very tiny coffins with guns in them, and you you they find out float down a str- an artificial stream. <laughs> it's incredible, uh, and it's it's uh, revealed that this was sort of uh, Mr. Price sort of introducing these things as like. There, there weren't supposed to be any actual live rounds in the guns. Um, they were just supposed to be like show guns. Um, but uh, Evelyn, uh, his wife, after a truly 
brain-numbing series of threats to kill each other with Jeffrey Rush. Um, she ends up getting strapped to a table in the, the torture basement, and there's a big cartoony electrocution scene where she's just, like, convulsing and getting shocked to death. Yeah, because you can't have an old-timey mental asylum without a uh, damaging portrayal of psychology. <laughs> This is now, and actually, and you know what? I feel okay uh, talking about this on a podcast. As somebody who spent a few months in a psych ward when I was a teenager, uh, due to some stuff, I um, I'm really annoyed by this kind of shit. Where it's like people still think that psych wards are like one flew over the cuckoo's nest, where everybody's getting their fucking brains scrambled with electricity, and it's I don't know. I feel like. Um, I don't know, ECT, like electroconvulsive therapy, it's a thing that has worked for a lot of people, doesn't work for some people, but you're never fucking awake for it, and it's only for, like, brief little, like, blips of time that they're doing this to your brain. Anyway, all this to say, I'm, I, please can we stop doing the old-timey Edwardian asylums? It's not doing <laughs> anybody any favors. However, they do bust out a goddamn zoetrope, which is the most Edwardian. <laughs> oh, yes, they do. Let's talk about the zoetrope. So, just like the scramble pan at your local county fair, they're like, Price, you're a dick, you're trying to kill us, we're going to lock you in the saturation chamber, which is just a zoetrope that they handcuff him to, and spin him around until ghosts pop out of the walls and actually try to kill him. Yeah, it's like the, the saturation chamber is sort of like uh, Ed, Edwardian and Jeffrey Combs' voice. I'm going to seal you in a room and make you watch YouTube poop videos on a loop until your brain dies. <laughs> um, it's it's a lot. Like Now, this scene is kind of incredible. Because Jeffrey Rush is, uh, he's sealed in this thing, and Peter Gallagher's like, what, I can't hear you, and, like, leaves him to get his brains, like, fricasseed or whatever. And you get a zoetrope, like, a, a moving sort of flipbook picture of Jeffrey Combs with a basketball, um, dribbling the basketball on Jeffrey Rush's face. And he's got Aggressive a Aggressive dribbling. <laughs> and then, Mr. Price... Gets down to business. Oh yeah, now we're uh, we're really going for it. Um, he what now? What happens is it's almost like a spy versus spy routine with the double crosses and reveals between the characters. It's then revealed that um, Evelyn's assistant faked an identity with one of the real ancestors, so she's there even though she's not supposed to be. It's revealed that um, Blackburn is actually Evelyn's lover, and she's faked her death, but now she's not, and then she <laughs> is, and then people keep actually dying, and Tay Diggs has just had a really hard day. <laughs> Poor Tay Diggs. He's, he's such a beautiful best. man to be so put upon. Yeah, he's just trying to have a nice time. now, And it's incredible because when... Um, so when Evelyn, uh, she's lying there dead, which by the way, in a movie with the effects pedigree this movie has on it, after that scene with the uh, uh, the fake electrocution, she should have looked like the worst sunburn in the world. Like she should have oh. looked like a blackened hot dog. But that's where she fakes her death because then later the darkness just eats her. Oh, for sure. And and so Blackburn, who's obviously Peter Gallagher and his eyebrows, which I truly cannot stress enough how much I love and respect Peter Gallagher's eyebrows. Like, they are... I, w I want to be more like his eyebrows. Like, steadfast in the face of adversity. Uh, strong. And he... Now, he he's... You think that he's like a weird little perv who's like kissing a dead body? Because Evelyn is lying there presumably dead and he's just like making out with her while she's dead and then she in like a jump scare she's like haha i'm actually alive and he's like oh you and they continue making out and then right after that she just stabs the shit out of peter gallagher with a scalpel and chops his fucking head off you know like you do and uh hangs the head up in the zoetrope chamber where jeffrey rush has been tripping nutsack and everybody sees this and goes oh well, clearly it's Mr. Price who's slicing and dicing all of the guests. 
So then they shoot the motherfucker. <laughs> Not only do they shoot him, Sarah, who is like the, what, I would say... Now, she and Tay Diggs are like the main characters of the thing in the regard that the narrative actually lets them talk seriously about anything for a period of time. And she's like, she doesn't accept one of the little coffin guns at first because she's like, ah, I don't want a gun, you know. She's like reasonable. But then um, Mr... Uh, Mr. Price is, like, trying to talk to her, and he's like, Hey, what? No, I don't know what happened. I got my brains microwaved by the zoetrope chamber. Let me explain. And she goes from being like, No, get away from me, to just, like, unloading an entire clip of, like, 12 bullets into his body. Like an NRA wet dream. She's just like, <laughs> fuck off. Yeah, she's, she saw... This is a video game, and she saw a flashing red and yellow light on his chest, revealing that this is where she needed to shoot to kill him. <laughs> um, and he just gets the shit shot out of him. But then, oh no, this is the movie House on Haunted Hill from 1999. He was wearing a bulletproof vest the whole time. Yes, because we also know that a bulletproof vest is magical. It's it's AC in D&D. If you roll if you can't if you can't roll high enough, it doesn't count at all. Holy shit. It's incredible. No bruises. No. <laughs> oh, no broken ribs, certainly. Like he is just fresh as a fucking daisy after getting like an entire clip of bullets emptied into his torso. Um, and he's lying there, presumably dead, and then Evelyn sort of, like, rolls up on him, and she's like, haha, you're dead now. And he just pops up, um, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, 12 bullets emptied into his chest with a bulletproof vest, and he, um, they have a bit of a, a what, a tussle? A, a tussle? He, like, suplexes her through a door <laughs> that's revealed to be, like, the heart of the ghost house. Oh my god, he does suplex her! It's like just this, it's this big fucking northern light suplex into the abyss. He's <laughs> <And> like, yeet! <laughs> he, he yeets her into the rotten heart of the house, and the house just like, fucking devours her. Now, I Yeah, will... the house is like, god damn it, we're, this is why we can't have nice things. There's a fucking <laughs> child's bicycle melded into the wall. There's weird stuff. And then the CGI of this darkness is just faces, just constantly different actors throughout the movie showing their face and talking trash and then being subsumed by another one. Hey, do you enjoy your commute but want to make it a little worse? It's real dumb. We hate ourselves. Hey guys, you ever like something? Well, you won't in this case. Men Like That. A podcast. Do you ever find that you wish they'd gotten Screaming Mad George to make the darkness? Oh, man. So much. It would have been so goopy. It would have. It, it would have. It would have looked like one of those uh, uh, blobs at summer camp in the lake that, like, you would jump onto to propel somebody else off of. <laughs> Except instead of propelling, just faces shot out of it. Hell yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and honestly, for some and, reason. <laughs> well, and I'm gonna keep it 100 with you. The 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 effects in this movie of the rotten heart of the house of just like this big fucking. Um, Aurora Borealis of faces like emerging from the dark. It's kind of badass. I didn't hate it. Like it's it looks like what it looks like is uh, if id Software, who made the Doom games, got a hold of like okay, we need y'all to make us a Windows uh, media player visualization around the year like 2005 while you're listening to like Queens of the Stone Age. It would be that. It's just this big undulating screensaver of faces, and I kind of love it. Um, what, what, now, this uh, big evil blob of faces chases uh, our uh, two protagonists, um, Tay Diggs and uh, I forgot the, act uh, the the other actor's name, but Sarah. It's Allie Larder. I don't know who she is. Oh, Allie Larder. Wait, that name is familiar to me. She was in Varsity Blues. Okay. All right. I mean, Ali Larder is a cool name, generally. Um, oh, she was in, in a bunch of the Final Destination movies. She's okay, so she's been in a bunch of stuff. Um, oh, she was in Legally Blonde, which is the most important one, I feel. Uh, and she and Tay Diggs have obviously been like now. And there's a moment I need to go back to here. 
Uh, there's a moment between uh, Ali Larder and Tay Diggs where she's like trying to climb up and fix a wire on a thing, and he just full on grabs two healthy cheekfuls of her butt to like help steady her. And she turns around to and she's quote, steady, unquote. Like, this isn't like hands on the side of your hips. He's like performing a fucking prostate exam. And she's, <laughs> she turns around and she's like, hey, buddy, what the fuck? And he's like, uh, and she's like, oh, you, which is also how I would feel if Tay Diggs gave me that face. <laughs> it's just like, all right, well, you know what? That's that's fair, Tay Diggs. Um, and they get they get chased up into the attic of the house. Um, and they defeat the evil by closing a window. So it's revealed that in a throw, what's basically a throwaway line, Tay Diggs's character says, in a very, I'm not even supposed to be here today. He says, <laughs> I'm adopted. And the ghost is like, oh, I wish you'd said that earlier. Cause we don't <laughs> have any beef with you or this girl who's not supposed to be here either. So, uh, bye <laughs> let's just go kill everyone else yeah. yeah it's a very like anticlimactic eh. <laughs> well it's kind of great because again like the ghost hacked into jeffrey rush's laptop to summon the descendants of the original hill house staff and when he yells like i'm adopted it really is like the house itself had a wrong number and was like oh I'm so sorry to bother you. Please, please. If you want to listen, we've got this we've got this ledge on the side of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers mansion. Here I am with Evelyn all over my face. I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> uh, we really sorry, man. Uh, we tried it. We really tried to vet uh, who comes in here. We really thought you were part of this. I'm so please enjoy your night. I'm so sorry. And uh, yeah, so. And wouldn't you know it, they, they, they close this window on the, uh, leaving both of them on the ledge of the house uh, at the very top of this thing, and there is an envelope poking out full of everybody else's money that they would have gotten if they'd stayed the night, and it is made, the check is made out to cash. Okay, so let's talk about the third remake of this movie that will come out in 2025, because Hollywood is going to really need a, um, uh, kickstart to the heart after COVID. Yeah, real so in House of Haunted Hill, where the um, L's are like number ones or whatever. I, I'm trying to think of what would make it futuristic. Uh, oh yeah, it would have to be. I, oh, yeah, I feel like it would be uh, the haunting of Thrill House. No, no, it would be the House on Haunted Trill. There we go. Yeah. No, no, it would be the house at Haunted Hill, and it would be a the at symbol. Oh like, shit! Like Twitter. You're so a genius. Would it be five Venmo cards? <laughs> yeah, no. It would actually just be five individual PayPal logins that they would have to manually <laughs> uh, enter in order to to drain the the accounts. But then it turns out that the ghosts have actually hacked the PayPal accounts because. You know, the ghosts can operate computers, which is, I'm sorry, I know I keep going back to the hacking ghosts. No, it's really important that ghosts <laughs> can hack a guest list, but they can't search genealogy records online. Yeah, they're, listen, they're they're just getting used to the information superhighway. Um, but yeah, so the movie ends and they are both uh, super rich now, but how do we get down from this house? Turn down for what? And they, um, and that's it. Now, and that's actually not Except it. there's a post credit scene because it ends too happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, we can't end on a, on a nice sort of like, hey folks, thanks for coming out to our house on Haunted Hill remake. We sure do appreciate you paying money for this film. Um, now after an extended, uh, credits, uh, uh, sequence with uh, the full uh, Sweet Dreams cover by Marilyn Manson, because we want that in this movie. There's a post-credit scene where the, the the Prices, this married couple who hate each other, are just getting the shit tortured out of them by ghosts? Yeah, they're being operated on while alive by the ghosts. Now, it's left very sort of uh, ambiguous about what surgery the ghosts are doing or like I feel like this kind of doesn't work because you can only do so much surgery before I'm Jeffrey Rush and I'm going, look, man, you're just scraping bone at this point. I don't, I don't know what you're trying to, there aren't even any nerve endings on my, on my rib cage. Like you're just, you're making wine. 
I can't die again. <laughs> you can only... Guys, I'm one of you now. Like, listen, Jerry, sorry. I, 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 know, I know I'm not supposed to say your name, but, like, we're all ghosts now. Can you just, like, stop jamming that scalpel into my face? Oh. It is... Where do you want to put this turd on the list? I want... I don't know if it's just, like, I need some goddamn good... Because now Ruth Bader Ginsburg just died, and everything feels terrible. And I feel like I, I keep trying to look for levity in the things I do lately, right? Like, we, we've been doing this podcast for a few years, and we've seen a lot of shit. And I, I, I keep wanting to sort of, you know, fo- accentuate the positive, right? Um, I think this movie does a few good things. One of them... The camera work is pure Sam Raimi shit. It is weird and close up and running all over the goddamn place. The soundtrack isn't bad, I guess. Chris Kattan looks like he's having fun. He's a friendly ghost at the end of this movie. He is. He's basically Casper. What he he helps them get out, I think, right? He opens the window and is like, "Bye, y'all." And then closes it on the ghost. Now, and actually, Chris Kattan in this movie is one of my favorite archetypes in a haunted house narrative. Because, like, uh, Hell House by Richard Madison and, like, The Haunting of Hill House. And, like, there are so many haunted house narratives that have at least one character that I always love who is, like, I actually know what's happening here and I have decided to drink about it. And they're just, like, drunk as shit the entire time because they're terrified. Yes. Um, and that's Chris Kattan in this movie where he's just like, hey man, I grew up here and we're all worm food. I'm just going to drink scotch every moment I'm awake until I die. Um, and I, I've got a lot of fondness for that character because like, it's hard to be you, you know? Oh, for sure. Now, I'm looking at this list and right in the 220s, we have a real nice nugget of movies of this time period. We have Freddy versus Jason. We have Blade Trinity. We have I Know What You Did Last Summer. We have Dark City. The Devil's Rejects, uh, We even? have The Devil's Rejects. Um, where does our movie fall amongst uh, such comparable company? This is an excellent eye you have for exactly this kind of a movie, right? Um, this is... Now, all right. I'm going to start with um, other sort of bloated studio hell release, uh, Freddy vs. Jason, at, uh, at number 220. Now, I think Freddy vs. Jason is a... I can't even believe I'm going to say this. I think it's a better movie because um, it has sort of... Now, as another movie that was like rewritten and rewritten and rewritten to death by so many committees of people... Um, both of those movies have that extreme, like, this movie was written by a football team sort of feel to the script and the plotting, but Freddy vs. Jason, I feel like it has a better sense of time and place where, like, that movie is hewn from pure, uncut, except no substitutes, 2003. We've got, you know, the fashion, we've got the new metal butt rock, we've got... got Kelly Rowland... (laughs) Oh, yeah, she's dropping the F-slur. Um, and I feel like Freddy, you know, which is obviously the worst part of that movie. Like, look, the murder was fine, but can we can we not? Um, now, I want to give the, the, the edge to Freddy versus Jason just because I feel like it has more of a, 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 like a zeitgeisty time and place sort of a thing. Right. Also, it feels like it was doing something that was wanted, whereas House on Haunted Hill feels more like we're going to lose control of this IP if we don't make a, a remake. Oh, that's ex- that's a great point. Like, Freddy vs. Jason was made for me at 16 years old. Uh, the, uh, House on ha- the, the, the House on Haunted Hill 1999 was made for an audience of nobody. Yeah, and, si- and six years later, uh, Return to, Hon- to House on Haunted Hill was direct to DVD. <laughs> Man, I, I, I know I need to watch that at some point. I've never seen it, and yet we must. And it was supposed to be a trilogy. No shit. <laughs> Except How? it was. So a third installment was planned. Uh, this Dark Castle production company was going to do it, but the DVD flopped, so they they uh, canceled the plans. God damn. That's, you know what? I, I love when that happens, actually, where a studio is like, we're pretty sure we've got a home run. Looks like everything is smooth sailing. And then the movie drops and they're like, 
we need to abandon this boat as quickly as possible or we're all going to die. Okay, but um, let's talk about other Dark Castle films. They made 13 Ghosts, 2005's <sighs> House of Wax, and Hell yeah. Gothica. Hell yeah, buddy. These are these are all exactly... And, and this is the thing I realized was like, this movie and 13 Ghosts could easily be a double feature, right? Right. I'm sorry, um, they're still working on films. They're not a defunct studio. <laughs> Fuck yes. Listen, I have uh, a full moon uh, account. I'm, I'm down for movie companies that should have stopped and haven't stopped. Now, I want, so I'm, 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 I feel like for me, I'm giving the edge to Freddy vs. Jason, but I also think it is better than Blade Trinity, which is at number 222, because... Blade Trinity was a bloated late series entry that, like, featured all manner of, like, goofy weirdness, including Triple H and a vampire Pomeranian. Um, but I feel like at that point that the, the franchise was just tired, where this very bad franchise was just getting going. Yes, I feel like nothing in House on Haunted Hill as, uh, deep into its excesses as it is, um, mm-hmm. is worse than Ryan Reynolds in Blade Trinity. God, that was just his fucking, like, demo reel for Deadpool, wasn't it? Yeah, pretty much. The, I can crack wise. Oh, just being a fucking yuckster, it's unbearable. Um, so yeah, so I feel good. Now, right above Blade Trinity is, um, Life After Beth. Now, I kind of didn't care for Life After Beth. Really? Yeah, I, it, like it, it was sort of fine, but it felt really throwaway in a way that I was kind of, I don't know, I, I think maybe I was expecting more from it, but what do you think? Yeah, I would say the screenplay doesn't have any major stakes. It feels very, it's very much a teenager, wah-wah girlfriend movie, mm-hmm. which hits at the right spot at a certain age, but isn't timeless cinema yeah it's it's very not timeless cinema like house on haunted hill (laughs) which is gonna just be etched into the fucking bedrock honestly life after beth is sort of like lars and the real girl levels of sort of nobody is going to be talking about this and you know for more than a year after the release of the thing yeah um yeah so i feel actually so i feel pretty good uh about putting um house on haunted hill from 1999 at our new number 221. We done did it again. We spent an hour talking about <laughs> a late 90s movie. Quincy, is this our niche? I think. Man. Either we have to stop or we have to continue. And I don't <laughs> actually know which is better for the show at this point. It's amazing because I am I a think... danger to myself and others. <laughs> I mean, like, it's, it's funny because, like, I think of, like, early episodes where we were, like, fucking packing them in there, man. It was, like, four or five episodes, four or five movies, an episode where we're, like, what do we think of uh, Wishmaster 2? Ah, it's pretty okay. Number 198, next. And just, like, hammering them through. And this one is, like, no, we need to really talk about the House on Haunted <laughs> Hill remake. We need to get serious. No clown shit. No more clown shit. We need to fucking <laughs> bear down and talk about this late 90s remake. Rankin is the beatdown hardcore <laughs> horror podcast. <laughs> no clown shit. We're here to win. That's, this is, all right, this is going to be our, 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 our new t-shirt design. It's no more, no more, no more clown shit. Um, goddamn. All right, so yeah. So if we could actually get a split, if, if you're in the band um snuffed on site and you want to work with us on a theme song or something oh like, yeah no tea no shade i actually uh, please email us rankinvilecast at gmail.com yeah let's do a fucking collab i would be I'd, i would be excited that sounds fun um all right 221 house on haunted hill uh quincy where can our listeners find us on the internet Besides on Gmail, they can find us on Twitter at RankinVileCast and on Instagram at RankinVile. We also have a YouTube. We have a TikTok while that's still around. We have a <laughs> Tumblr. Um, <laughs> we're trying to get a um, 
influencer account with family video. Um, I hope this is not too early. Like, I'm not getting ahead of myself for breaking that news. But uh, keep your fingers crossed because they are an excellent company who's keeping the dream alive. Um, and that's not just like brown nosing. Like, I legitimately stand for family video. Oh, yeah. Family video for me is like vinegar syndrome, where, where I'm like, anytime we're putting over how much we love vinegar syndrome, money has not changed hands. We just really, really love horror movies. And yes. <laughs> yeah, we're just, we, we, you know, which is, you know, obviously a very brave and controversial thing for me to say as the co-host of a horror podcast, but... I'm not going to apologize for being a patriot. I like horror movies. <laughs> Keep America strong, yeah. Um, we are, yeah, so, like, and, and most of the time, uh, we are, you know, on, on Twitter, at Rank and Vile Cast, uh, on Twitter. Um, guys, we have a Discord channel if you want to pop in and share cool memes about ghouls. Uh, we have, we a, have a Patreon. We have a goddamn Patreon. Now, the Patreon, um, everybody who is on the Patreon, we love you guys. Thank you so, so much for giving us any amount of your uh, quarantine fun bucks. Um, we are making a bunch of new uh, content that we're about to put up on our Patreon, including um, we are about, I think, Quincy, we are about to do um, some 80s action films. Yes, uh, um, I have purchased some Chuck Norris VHS tapes, and we've got to process the <sighs> the words she wants to hear. I yeah, I there are so many now, and and this is my thing is also I love eighties horror or eighties action movies so much that I'm always like, I guess we can't technically talk about Tango and Cash on our horror podcast. So yeah, so if you guys want to go to Patreon.com/slash Rank and Vile. Um, we are over there if you want to uh, throw us a few bucks in these trying times. But I know it's it's this is a totally a war on Halloween too early for Christmas, <laughs> but we do have Santa with muscles to talk about as well. Oh fuck, Hulk Hogan classic Santa with muscles. We have to do it at some point. Yeah. <laughs> it, so yeah. check out our Patreon uh, if you want. <laughs> to be subjected to that. If you if you are a glutton for punishment and you yeah yeah it's that movie is so bad. Uh, but yeah, that is about all I've got. You got anything else? Stay spooky. Later, folks. <laughs>